night last night, and I really loved sharing in the truth of the gospel with you. And I hope you were able to go home and to consider some of those questions that were in your Genuine magazine and to think through some of the things that God might have been speaking to you. Because even if you've been a believer for a long time, it's so easy to start deserting the gospel and distorting the gospel and, and not living a life genuine to the gospel. You know, we're really only together for just a few hours in this VBS time. And I really think God has so much that he wants to pour into us during this time. And so what I really want to encourage you to do is to take this weekend beyond here. And you're the only one that can really do that and make a decision to do that. Because we're, we're, we're sharing a lot of deep truth. God's doing that through his spirit in our hearts. And, and really the, the messages that I'm sharing and the questions that are in those guides, you know, they're really not designed as a one-stop, get it and go, and you're good for the year, you know, kind of thing, or good for the summer, whatever. Because I know a lot of you, your Bible studies that you're involved in, don't continue through the summer, but this is not a one-stop, get-it-and-go type thing. We want you to take that stuff and use it as a tool. So all that to say, as we're here together, I encourage you to get your Bible open, you know, put it in your lab, get your heart, get your mind, be engaged, but take it beyond here. In fact, even in a little while, when we take a break, I would encourage you, you know, if you're here with a friend, take the questions that follow session two, and as you're standing in line at the bathroom or at the table or sitting in here, talk through one of those things. Go out to lunch after. You know, do that kind of thing. You might even want to pre-order a copy of the teachings today. We try to make those available, and they are. You can, you can pre-order those, and we'll send them to you when they're ready in a few weeks. Uh, I even want to give away this morning to, um, hopefully this person's here. She filled out a card last night. Lizette Curtin. Yeah, okay, here you go. Here is a coupon for you to uh, you just take it to the table and they'll give you a free pre-order of the teachings. But we would love for you to have that and hopefully that will bless you. I know. Yep. Let's clap for Lizette. I know personally, I, I listen to several teachers on a regular basis. And sometimes their message will just hit me and I'll listen to their message, I mean, over and over and over again because God's speaking something to me. And it's good for us to do that, to take that idle time. I listen to teachers every morning while I'm getting ready. You know, it gets my mind off of me while I'm sitting there putting mascara on or whatever. You know, I listen. I get my computer in there, find somebody online, and I listen uh, to teachers. And it's just a good thing to do that, to just be filling our minds and our hearts with God's Word. And we've got resources in the back where you can do that as well. And I hope you'll take a minute to look at those things because we're, we've put them together to be a tool for you to get you in the Word. There's so many things out there, but we've, we've got some too that we'd like, um, we'd like to offer. Enough about that, though. Oh, and oh, one more thing. Those little stickers that you're getting. Some, some of us have maybe been a little confused about that. If you'll just put those on your, on your magazine or on a, yeah, you can do it right here. And that'll just give you a 20% discount if you want, if you get all three stickers. Some of you put them on your contact cards last night, and then um, we got it back. So you don't have your sticker. So, that, But that was probably because we didn't communicate very well. So you, you'd want to put that on your book or on something. And, and even if you don't want to get something today, they'll give you a coupon that you can use through the end of the year to get 20% off of any of the Bible study resources. So, And the only reason we even charge you for those is so that we can um, be able to produce them. So uh, we just want to put as many tools in your hands as we can. So let's get back, though, to the song that we were just singing. Arms high and hearts abandoned. I mean, what is that really all about anyway? 
I want to tell you a story that's going to lead us back to that song in a little bit. I don't know if you've ever heard of Amy Grant or not. I, uh, I grew up on her music. That kind of tells you my age. But I remember when I was 13 years old, her first album came out. It was titled My Father's Eyes. And her, her title song off of that was My Father's Eyes. And so in case you've never heard it, I want you to take a look at this. I don't know if you remember that or not. Uh, great hair if you were alive in the 80s. <laughs> Did you see the guy playing the guitar? Did you see the afro and the big old mustache? <laughs> that really, really dates uh, that video. But you know what? It was the first in a style of contemporary Christian music that was really just starting to come on the scene. Other than that, we only had Kumbaya and This Little Light of Mine and uh, some hymns, you know, and great stuff. But for me, at the age of 13, it was so good to start to connect to the Lord with some of that kind of music. I had a friend, her name was Mary, and Mary had a record player. And we would put that big old album on that record player, and we would listen to that song over and over again. Now, some of you younger girls that are here, you don't know what a record is. It's basically a CD that's about that big, okay? And you put it on the player, and you put the thing down, and you hope it doesn't skip, and it goes around and around, and you listen. Now you can carry it on a little thing like that and listen to all your music, but it wasn't like that back then. So we'd sit on Mary's bed, and we would play that song over and over again. And we'd listen to those words, I may not be every mother's dream for her little girl. And my face may not grace the minds of everyone in the world. You know, you think about those words. I mean, those are words that are born out of a place of, of brokenness, aren't they? Of hurt. See, even though Mary and I were only 13 years old, I can tell you there was already brokenness going on in us. Mary's parents had recently divorced. Her mother actually left. So she didn't feel like she was every mother's dream for her little girl. And for me, I had already gone through some rejection. My face was not gracing the minds of everyone in the world. I'd already endured some sexual abuse. And so there was brokenness in me, you know. And, and that's just the brokenness in both of us that came from other people's sin. That doesn't even talk to you about the brokenness that came from our own sin, from that war that we're all in that we talked about last night. But when Amy sang about having her father's eyes, those words washed over us with hope. Hope that the brokenness could be filled with love. Now, we didn't really understand all of that. It just sounded good and it felt good. But at 13, we would listen again and again because somehow I think we knew in our hearts if God loved us, then that meant we were definitely connected to somebody who was greater than ourselves. Now, last night I told you about how God began my faith when I was a little girl. This morning, I want to tell you more about how he worked in my relationship with him through my teen years and early 20s. Remember our theme verse? For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. As I grew up, God was still working in me, working out my faith. One of the needs in my life at the time, and still is, was to know that I was loved. And it's a deep need, and most women really have it. Even if you grow up in a strong home, and I did. Even if you have a lot of friends, and I did. Even if you marry a great Christian man, and, and I did. You still have this need in your life for, for love to be filled and deepened in your heart from God the Father. But you know what? Most of us, by the time we're in our early teens, we're already looking for that love everywhere else, right? I was. No doubt. Now, I was in church 
all the time, and I'm very grateful for that. I grew up in a great church. I had an amazing youth group. I mean, amazing youth pastor, amazing youth group. We were tight as a group of people. It was, it was just a really neat experience. But even though I was in church and I had that great experience, I can tell you my heart was all over the map. And I really wasn't in the Word much at all. Every now and then, as God was working out my faith, I'd get these exposures to the Word just really being broken open. And I can remember I was in the ninth grade, and I went to my first Christian conference, and we went to Kentucky. And this man named Wayne Smith opened up the Bible to Matthew 6.33. I still have the notes that I wrote down from that night. And he talked about, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added to you, making Jesus the center of your life. And ladies, that evening, that word of God stuck in me. I remembered that. And it started to make a difference in how I lived. And it was a, it was a measure of things to come, how powerful God's word is. See, at that time, I, there was this wrestling going on in me because I wanted to seek God. I wanted to connect to him. I needed to know his love, but I really didn't know how. But God was working. I got the chance to actually go to an Amy Grant concert several years after I started listening to that song. I think I was 16 or 17 at the time. You better believe I took it because I loved Amy Grant. So we went to this, we went to this concert, and that was really my first time out of my own um, we are, I don't come from a denominational church, but it, it, a non-denominational kind of sisterhood of churches. And that was all I had ever known. So this was my first time really outside of that bubble. And I got there to this concert thousands of people there, and I saw something I had never seen. I saw all these people with their hands lifted in the air, because we didn't do that at my church. I had never seen that. And so I was looking around, and thinking, what are these people doing? But you know what? By the end of the night, my hands were in the air too, because I wanted, in my heart, I wanted to connect to God. You think of a child, hands held high to their father, and I was reaching. I wanted to know him, and God was working. But you know what? Satan was also working. Because if God is working in your life, Satan is going to also be working, trying to lie to you, steal from you, kill and destroy what God is doing. Now, one of the ways that he did that, I can look back now and see it, but, you know, you can't see real close when you're so up close to it. You can't necessarily see what God was doing. But one of the ways he did that was by working in my heart and mind. And that's the way he works in most of us, right? All this stuff going on inside of us. My personality was and still is very much for people to be pleased. I love to know that people are pleased. And, and my love language is words of affirmation. And so Satan knew that and would get into my heart in this way. Much of the teaching that went on in my youth group was, was good, good teaching. But most of it was about behavior and character and morals and integrity. All really good stuff, stuff that we need to learn but Satan took that personality bent that I had and that teaching and twisted it all up. He took my hunger for God. And in my heart and in my mind, what began to develop was this message that I heard that was very distorted to the true gospel. And this was the message, that there are certain things that you have to do and be if you really want God to love you. For instance, don't cuss, don't gossip, wear modest clothes, come to church, don't go too far with your boyfriend. Don't drink. Don't talk during the church service. You better serve. You like help in the nursery and do some things like that. Use your gifts to serve God. 
Read your Bible, pray every day, pray before your meals. You know, you, you got to do it. all these things. And the list began to grow. The older I got, the wider my experience got, the list began to grow. Just like it did for the Israelites as the list got longer and longer of ways that they were to follow the rules. So I began to believe that if I could just get all the things right, all that stuff right, then God would really love me. But if I didn't get it right, then he really didn't. So it was kind of a gamble every day as to how I was going to feel about how God felt about me. No place to firmly plant my feet in the truth. It was just all over the map. Now that's not the gospel. <laughs> That's religious behavior modification, and it's rules. And ladies, we all need more than that. Rules don't work. And I began to define my relationship to God not by the gospel, but by what I did right and by what I did wrong. And you know what? I also defined everybody else's relationship to the gospel by what they did right and by what they did wrong. As we talked about last night, I had deserted the true gospel for a different gospel. I didn't even know that. I was disturbed because the gospel had become very distorted in me. I needed God's love every day, and so I would strive so hard to get it. But inevitably, every day, I blew it. And so what I would do was I would look for people around me who were messing up more than me. Because then I could at least try to feel like maybe he loved me. You know, I know you're laughing because you do the exact same thing, right? I mean, how distorted is that from the true, genuine gospel? Ugh, you know, because most days we end in bitter defeat. Now, all this time, I continued to raise my hands to God like I had learned at this Amy Grant concert because that felt good. But you know what? I never really felt like he was reaching back to me because he wasn't pleased enough with me to reach back. I wasn't doing a good enough job. And here's what confused it all the more. I often received many compliments from a lot of people in my church words of affirmation, okay, regarding my walk with Christ because they would look at things going on in my life on the outside that looked pretty good because <laughs> it really seemed like in a lot of ways I had it going on. I mean, I was the girl who had her hands in the air reaching to Jesus. I was in church every time the doors were open. I was serving. I was doing things that I was supposed to do. I was trying to follow the rules, maybe a lot more than some of the other kids were, and so I looked genuine, and people liked that, and so they would say good things to me. But the problem was, I wasn't. My faith was not in the genuine gospel at all. My faith was in me being able to be good enough. And my heart was so needy for love that what I really started to do was to look for love in all the wrong places. All behind this mask of a good church girl. My hands were in the air, but my heart was not abandoned to him. My heart was abandoned toward all these other places in my life where I was seeking love. Whoever the boy was in my life at the time. People approving of me. New clothes that I got. How far to the top I could rise on any team or class or whatever I was in. It was never enough. Because my heart was made for more. And so was yours. You know, I'm so thankful for the Word of God. Which reveals the love of the Gospel. I'll never forget the day that I stood in a gathering of worshipers. My hands were in the air. But the word of God was broken open that day. The gospel was preached. The light shined on the signs of his love that had been, that had been there all along in my life. But finally I was seeing it. And that day I abandoned my heart to God also. And I have never been the same. But here's the thing. 
It was long, long, long past my teen years. I was actually 29 years old at the time. Now, what took so long? Not a great picture. <laughs> what took so long? Hadn't the signs of God's love been there all along? I mean, they really had. Hadn't I heard the gospel before that? Yes. Hadn't I been told again and again that God loved me in Christ and in all? Yes. The truth had been there. And honestly, ladies, I don't really know how I had missed it or all the reasons that I did. All I know is this. I'm just thankful for the day that the light kept shining and God kept working and somehow the Holy Spirit opened my eyes to the truth that God loves me and that his love is enough. The Father's love is enough for this heart. Earlier in this room, we had lots of women, and I was one of them, hands held high. And that's awesome. But you know what? I really believe God wants us to talk about this morning that we can also abandon our hearts to him. Because it's very easy to hide behind religious activity, religious expressions. And don't get me wrong, they're beautiful. They're much needed. We're commanded to do them. And you're going to find me right there with you doing them. But you think about it, anybody can raise their hands up. Anybody can show up to work in the nursery. Anybody can perform a task. But the light of the gospel is the only thing that is going to cause you to abandon your heart to Jesus Christ. And so this morning we're going to go back to the gospel. We're going to go back to something that Paul wrote about it in Galatians chapter 4. So I'd encourage you to turn there. Again, if you don't have a Bible at all, when we have a break, go to the information table. We would love to give you. I, I don't mean if you don't have one here. I mean if you don't own a Bible, we want to make sure that we, we give you one. So go and, and do that. But as you're, as you're turning to Galatians 4, and we're actually going to be at the end of 3, and then we'll move into 4, I want to give you a quick backstory on what's been going on in Galatians. Because last night we were in chapter 1, and now we're all the way at the end of 3 and, and going into 4. Basically, throughout this whole book, Paul clarifies the gospel. He talks about what it is. He talks about what it's not. And he's specifically been shining a light on the truth that the gospel message is all about what God has done for us, not what we do. The good news of the gospel is not that you've figured out morally how to behave. Not that you're, this per you're not the person that you used to be anymore. You've become this new person and you kind of stamped Jesus' name on it. That's, that's not the gospel. The gospel is that God, in his grace, reached down to you and me, rescued us out of that evil age that we talked about last night, and put his righteousness upon us. We could never, ever, ever get it on our own, no matter how much we change our life, no matter how much we strive, no matter how much moral perfection we get to, we're always going to fall short of God's glory. And Paul keeps talking about that through the book of Galatians. And when we fall short, we really need to understand this because we don't talk about this much anymore. But we really need to fall, we need to understand when we fall short, this angers God. Our God is a holy God. I really got a revelation on this a couple months ago. I was really angry about something one night. I mean, and, and justifiably so, you know. But I had to find something to do with this anger. So I, I thought I gave it to the Lord that night, and then I went to bed. But when I woke up really early the next morning to go out for my walk like I do, I realized I'm just as angry as I was last night. I'm even more angry now than I was last night. And so I'm talking to God because that's my prayer time, and I'm, I'm talking to him like, God, what do you do with this anger? 
And I started thinking, I know you got really angry about sin, and I know you want me to love in spite of, and I'm trying to do that, God, but what do you do with the anger? And all of a sudden, I had this revelation that God didn't just, like, let his anger go. And I knew this, but again, the light of the gospel shined in and showed me God took all that anger and put it on Jesus. It's not like God just threw it out to the wind and said, oh, well, he put that anger on Jesus. And that's why the cross was such a bloody, gruesome mess. He poured all of that out. If I was that angry at one person for something that they had done, can you imagine the anger of our holy God for the sins, all of them in the world, and all of that anger was put on God, uh, on Jesus Christ? God, that's where he put that? And God showed me that that's where I could put this anger to, and I could let go of it. See, we need to understand when God poured out his wrath, it was an really intense thing. It's not something we just gloss over in the gospel, but that helps us to understand why this is such good news for us, why the gospel is good news, because that anger was not poured out on us. Instead, his righteousness was poured out on us. So the celebration today about the gospel or any time you celebrate the gospel is not about you and me. It's not about us. It's not that we used to be this and now we're that. Not that we used to be hooked on this and now we're not. Not that we've cleaned up this in our life and now we live this way. The good news is not about all that. The good news is about what God did for us. But as we talked about last night, all of us tend to mess up the good news. And this specific problem about making it all about us and what we're doing and what we're not doing is such a common problem that I think that's why God had Paul write the whole book of Galatians anyway, (laughs) because that's exactly what they had fallen into, the behavior and the rules and trying to earn from God when you never can. Obviously, by what I told you, that happened to me. And it happened to the churches in Galatia. It happens to all of us, and Paul addresses it. If you work your way through these first three chapters, you're going to find that Paul along the way just keeps shining one ray of light after another on the gospel, showing us all these things that we've been given out of the grace, which is all that we don't deserve, but we get it anyway. And so he talks about grace. Then he goes to peace. The light keeps shining. Then he talks about reconciliation and forgiveness and then justification and then righteousness. And you see, it just builds and builds and builds and builds. There's a a verse in Proverbs that says, the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn. It grows brighter and brighter till you get to the the noonday sun when the the sun is the brightest. And really that's the truth. The more you walk with God, you're going to walk into more and more understanding, more grace, more, more of all these rich things that he pours out in our lives. And so Paul's walking them through the gospel. But then he's going to get to this like amazing thing where the, where the sun is just shining so, so bright. And that's where we're going to land today. At the end of chapter 3, Paul starts to talk about their relationship to God. What it used to be like under the law. How the law was the way that they connected to God by following the rules. But now that we're in Christ... Everything changes, and Paul's going to begin to talk about that. Read verse 24 and 25 with me in Galatians 3. It says, Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ, that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor. See, we had the law. The law was like a teacher, a tutor. And the purpose of the law was to lead us to Christ, to show us how much we needed a Savior. But now that we have 
our Savior, we're not under that law anymore. We don't need it. See, verse 26 says, but now that faith has come, we're no longer under this tutor. See, now in Christ, we, we've got something even greater than that. We're actually children of God. We're going to talk about that in verse 26. For all of you are sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. We're, we're sons. There's more. I have kids that come over my house, you know, with, with, with some of my kids. And you know what? I'll, I'll pour out blessings on these other kids. You know, I'll, I'll make them some Rice Krispie treats or, you know, do these different things for them. But you know what? They're not my kids. They get some blessings, but they don't have near what my kids have in my heart. There's a very big difference. So listen to this in 27. It says, For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. See, it doesn't matter, right, what nationality or religious background. If you're male or female, most of us in here are female today, but it doesn't matter. If you belong to Christ, then you're his child. In fact, this goes all the way back to what God promised to the children of Abraham. And if you've ever studied that, you know he promised some pretty amazing things. We're heirs to all of that. Now in Christ, we're actually children of God. So that's where Paul has been. And now in chapter 4, he's just going to really shine a big spotlight on this whole, what does it mean to be a child of God? And that's where we're going to really look. Read verses 1 and 2 with me. It says, Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is the owner of everything. But he's under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. What is Paul saying here? He's basically saying a child doesn't get it. <laughs> they just don't get it. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, go back with me all the way to Abraham. Abraham was an old man with an old wife. They hadn't even had kids yet. <laughs> but you find God having this really strange conversation with Abraham. God's talking to Abraham, this old man with no kids, about the kids that Abraham is going to have. Well, that's strange enough <laughs> because an old man and an old lady don't usually have kids, right? But even more strange than that, Paul, or God is talking to Abraham about the kids that Abraham's going to have, but he's talking to them as it, or talking to Abraham like those kids are his kids. See, these kids that, that Abraham's going to have, God's already viewing these kids as his own children, and he's talking about all the blessings that he's going to pour out on them. See, in God's heart, God already knew these kids that Abraham was going to have. He already knew that they were going to be heirs of his blessings because he loved them before they were even born, before they even were. And see, the miracle is that they wouldn't have ever been born to this old couple had God not stepped in and birthed them through Abraham and Sarah, which makes them even more of God's kids. God did that. How many of you know that children don't often get how much they're loved by their parents? Do, do any of you understand that? If you do, you're probably a parent. <laughs> because that's usually when you come into that understanding. If you're a parent, you know what I mean. See, you love these kids before they're even born, right? You love them before they're even conceived. They grow in your heart. You dream about these children before they're born. But then they are born. And they grow up. And as they're growing, they don't get how much you love them, right? Right? 
They don't. And many times, what will they do? They'll fight against your love. But you love them. And so out of that love, to keep them safe, to keep them protected, to continue to communicate your love and to steer them into life and blessings, what do you do? You have to create some boundaries, right? Or they would self-destruct. <laughs> and, and so you, you, you create these boundaries, just like in verse 1, or verse 2, it says, guardians and managers. See, you create some boundaries. These guide and protect these kids and communicate your love even though they don't get it. They don't understand that everything in your life, in your heart, already belongs to them. It already did before they were even born, before they were even conceived. They don't understand what they have in you. But a lot of times they understand if they want to get anything out of you, they better obey you a little bit. And so a lot of times they will. Now, if you were at VBS last year, you probably heard what has come to be known as my balloon story, okay? I have never told a story in any time that I've been speaking in the last six years that has gotten more attention than that story. I've had more comments, more emails about that story than any story that I've ever told. If you weren't here, um, I don't have time to tell it again. You might want to get the CD because it is. It is a good story. But the story was about my son, Sam. Well, Sam is 16 now. He's actually about 6'1". He wears a size 15 shoe. His foot is still growing. He's a big boy. And I tell you, I, he's under a table, and I'm not even really sure why in that picture. But um, he'll find strange places to be sometimes. But I mean, I just love this kid. I love every ounce of this kid. He gives me gray hair, but I mean, I love him. I've loved him since before he was born. Now, Sam does a whole lot around our house. He's actually a really big help in a lot of ways. But I'll tell you, at this point, he doesn't get it. <laughs> he just doesn't get it. So pretty much any time I ask Sam to do something, this is what he'll do. He'll say, that's fine, Mom. I'll do that. Big feet, you know, stomping. I'll be your slave. I do all the work around here. That's fine, Mom. Now, I'm like, hello? You do all the work around here? You just don't get it, do you? You don't get it. And actually, a lot of times he's saying that just because he wants to push my buttons because he really, really loves to do that. But you know what? Before Christ, that's the way it was with God's children. See, historically, God's children didn't get it. They had the promise of God's love on them since before Abraham and Sarah even had a child. God had already put that upon them, already had that in his heart. But they lived like they were slaves. They would go through the outward motions. Sure, God, we'll come worship you. We'll do this because we know you asked us to. We'll do all the stuff around here, God, to make sure we're good people. That's the way they lived. We'll follow you like a slave. But their heart wasn't in it. And Paul was telling the Jewish Christians, look, you've been God's child all along. But you're living like a slave. So in verse 3, though, he says, So also, while we were children, we were held in bondage under the elemental things of this world. What are the elemental things? They're the childish, the basic things. You become a slave to the basic, and you miss the full. You miss the beautiful. For the Jewish Christians, it was stuff like God had told them to be circumcised. The elemental was in the doing it. But God had much more purpose in it. If you read through the New Testament, 
where God brings the whole truth of circumcision to light, you understand that what it, that represents is for their hearts to be cut open so that the life of God could really flow through them. God wanted their hearts to be circumcised. He didn't just want them going through this outward act of, of physical circumcision. That really meant nothing to God. It was a representation of what's going on in the heart, but they, they totally missed that. Another thing, the elemental tithe. God, God had asked them to tithe. It was part of this tutor, this law. And they would be diligent to the core, following that rule down to the last cent. But they missed the point that God's blessings abounded upon them. And God just wanted them to keep a heart of understanding how much he had in store for them, how much he could pour into their lives. If they would give back, he could pour out even more blessings. They missed all of that. God told them to observe the Sabbath. And oh, they would do it. They would do it with great legalism. And they added all these other rules to it. But what was the motive in their heart? Why were they doing that? Were they fellowshipping with God? See, a child might get the job done. A child might follow the rule, but they miss the depth of the relationship that's there. They miss the whole point. And here's the irony of a child. That child is constantly going to be raising their hands. See, when they're little, what does the child do? Hold me. Hug me. Take care of me. They lift their hands. As the child gets older, it's give me. Give me, please give to me, right? See, the children of Israel were always demanding of God, but they had not come into this understanding of how much God loved them. And ladies, this is exactly the pathway that so many of us get onto as well. We get enslaved to the basic thing and we miss the whole point. Go to church. Why? It's your turn to work. In one of the ministry jobs is what you do on Sunday. If you don't go to church, you can't go out to eat after, so you go to church, you know. You want to wear your new outfit. I mean, do you miss the point? Or because you love God and you've been fellowshipping with him all week long and you can't get to wait to get with all your brothers and sisters and, and love on Jesus and let him love on you and just spend the day together. Or what about read your Bible? Why? You said you'd read through the Bible this year, and you got to check every one of those boxes because you are a list person. And, and you know, if the box isn't checked, you just won't be able to, to make it. Or maybe you're in a Bible study group, and you're supposed to do your homework, and everybody else is doing their homework. And you don't want to be the one that doesn't have her homework done, so you will stay up and get the questions done. But where's your heart? <laughs> you're missing the truths that God wants to pour into your life and break open your heart with. Or what about give an offering? I've been taught the principle of tithing. And I'm going to give because that will mean God will give back to me. And yes, it's true. That is a principle. But what about God? You're the giver of everything. You poured so much into my life. And I want to show you how thankful I am. And, and I know that you have more to pour into my life. And I want to share it. and be. Gen I mean, we miss the point. Do you understand what I'm saying here? We miss the point. But there comes a moment where we move from the basic to the full. To the full. Read verses 4 through 5 with me. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. God had been building toward this moment since before the foundation of the world, the moment when he was going to be able to fully reveal how much he loved his children. See, while they were wandering through the world... Like orphans and slaves, God was going to step in and he was going to break open this amazing light of his love through his son. No longer would they just be lifting their hands, but God was going to get a hold of their hearts. 
They would have his DNA within them as he put his spirit within them. And as this happened, they were going to have this aha moment. Verse 6, and because you are sons, God has sent forth his spirit of his son into our hearts. And we cry out, Abba, Father. This is that moment when, oh, he loves me. How did I miss that? I'm treasured. I'm sought out by God. Now, how do we know that this was a different moment for them? Because they weren't just going to say father. This term father here is a very distant word. It's like a remote authority, kind of like a slave master. But then the word Abba is here. And that's the word for daddy. That's the same word that Jesus used in the garden when he was communicating with his father. You can't get more intimate than that. I'm told, and and this has been my own personal experience as well, that many children will grow out of childish thinking when they have their own child. And that has been what happened for me too. You have an aha moment. You get it. You understand how much your parents loved you, how much they sacrificed for you, how much what really your parents just want is to have a sweetness of relationship with you. I've talked to many young women and, like I said, experienced that myself, and I know that's the truth. Somehow this light comes on. You no longer relate to your parents out of uh, have to and rules, but you finally get, my parents loved me. Now, I know in a fallen world, that's not the way it is all the time. But that is what happens a lot of the time. When a child comes into that knowing of how much they're loved by their parents, They abandon their heart to the experience of that love and the blessing of that love. They experience the favor of being an heir. And they realize that what's in their hearts of their parents and what's in the lives of their parents belongs to them. That their parent would probably lay down their life for their child. And you know what? If you didn't have that kind of relationship with your parent growing up and your parent was not that kind of parent, you know what? You have a father in heaven who did lay down his life for you. So don't go, don't let Satan be ministering to you this stuff of, or speaking this lie to you. Oh, yeah, that's one more way that I'm excluded. No, <laughs> because you have a father who laid down his life. Recently, my brother was telling me a story about a young woman that I'll call Carrie. It's a redemption story. Carrie grew up in a Christian home. She was deeply loved by her parents. They poured their lives into her. But Carrie just didn't get it. As a young girl, she obeyed the rules of the home. But the older she got, her heart grew more and more restless. And she just tended to fight their love, fight their care, fight their faith. Her actions, the more steps she took down pathways of darkness, brought just a ton of destruction into her own life. And she really broke her parents' hearts. God in his love and in her parents in their love continued to pursue Carrie, that one directional light of the gospel. And eventually, Carrie came face to face, that aha moment with God's love, which also revealed how much her parents loved her. Carrie finally got it. And God has been doing a work of restoration and redemption in Carrie's life. And and God is restored Many things that are broken were broken and is going to use them for his purposes. Carrie's now engaged to a wonderful young Christian man and and she's enjoying a sweet relationship with her parents and God is taking the things that were broken and beginning to use them for good. And one of the ways that he is doing that is recently Carrie went on a mission trip with my brother and some of my brother's kids and also Carrie's father. My brother and Carrie's father have long been friends. 
They're prayer partners. They study the word together. And so during this time of Carrie's rebellion, my brother cried many a tear with Carrie's father. And they prayed together for Carrie. Well, my brother and Carrie's father have recently joined their families together and they're purchasing an orphanage in the Dominican Republic and it's going to be their family ministries. So they went down to the Dominican Republic a couple months ago and Carrie actually went on that trip and that's one of the ways God is just beginning to move through her life and shine the light out of things that at one time were broken. So they're on the way home from this mission trip. All of them are tired, you know, ready to be coming back to the States. My brother happened to just look back on the plane and he looked back and he saw Carrie asleep. And her head was resting on her daddy's shoulder. And he said to me, that was like one of the sweetest things that I have ever seen. Because my brother had prayed with his friend, who's Carrie's father, through all of that hurt and all of that brokenness. See, Carrie was finally in a place where she realized, my daddy loves me. And what a picture of what happens when we finally get it. How much God, our Father, our Daddy loves us. And we can just rest. And not just rest, but rest with our head on His shoulder. See, it's so good to get to that moment, that place of knowing. Like verse 7 says, it says, therefore. It's that, I stand in this. You know what? This is what it is. I'm no longer a slave, but I'm a son. I'll say here, a daughter. And if a daughter than an heir through God. That's a place of resting in this pinnacle, this bright light of God's blessings. You get it. And therefore, this is how you lived. I'm loved. I'm not just saved, not just forgiven, not just reconciled and justified and given peace. I mean, great things, great blessings that flow out of the grace, but man, it doesn't have any comparison to being a child of God. That is the brightest place in the gospel. And you know what? It's available to every one of us because God has adopted us all. And Paul is saying here, though, that understanding comes upon us slowly as God starts the work of faith in us, and then he continues working it. We get to a place where all of a sudden we realize God loves us. The children of Israel had to walk through the tutorship of the law to get to that place to understand. And it usually takes a while for kids to get to a place where they're they understand how much their parents love them. And I believe that God's word is teaching us here, ladies, that there, there's a place, there's a journey to get to, an aha moment to get to where we realize that God's love is truly enough for us. We get it. He's our Abba. He's our Father. And we can't manufacture that moment ourselves. We just have to keep going to the Lord, being under his tutorship. Letting our hearts learn of him and letting him know how much we want to know that love. And once he shows us at that moment, you know what happens in your heart? You settle down. You settle down. Your heart's not restless anymore. Your need for love is met in God alone. And you realize he's your father. You abandon your heart to him and you realize he genuinely loves you. So what do you think God wants us to do with that this morning? I think he wants us to use it as a place of identifying where are we. See, for the Galatians, Paul didn't stop there. In the verses that follow, he says to them that uh, some of you are going back. Even though you know this, you're going back. 
we need to look and say, where am I? Am I still living like a child who doesn't get the love that God has for me? Am I having an aha moment, <laughs> you know, where I realize God is my father, he's my daddy, he loves me, even though every other man in my life has maybe deserted me, my God never will because he genuinely loves me. Or maybe you've already come into that knowing that he's your Abba, your father, and you're living in that place of therefore that this reveals. That's where I want to be. And honestly, that's where I live most of the time now, and I'm grateful for that. But I can have those moments when I turn back to those weak and elemental things. Verse 9 says, but now that you've come to know God or rather be known by God, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? Ladies, don't do that. Read this sign. Let God's light shine on this sign. Put this picture of this sign in your heart this morning. For some of us, this sign has been there for years, but we've never really stopped to look at it. Look at this sign. You know, I told you, for me, it was a long time in my life of God shining his light on that sign before I really began to get it. I spent a lot of years as a child totally focused on the rules. I didn't get it. I'm so thankful for that moment when I was 29 when God just broke open the light of his love, that moment when I got it. Most of my days now are therefore days, but there are times that I go back to those weak and elemental things. But no matter what, God keeps working, working out my faith, revealing his love so I can stand in that. He wants us to get it. He wants us to be able to abandon our hearts. See, the more he works in us, we begin to see with the eyes of our Father. We have our Father's eyes. He loves us, and we get it, and we see through the eyes of his love. We see that God's love is better than anything on this earth. It's genuinely enough for our hearts. It's enough to give us worth and value, enough to calm our fears, enough to bring forgiveness and provide for our lack, enough to deal with disappointment, enough to help us when life just really stinks. And sometimes it does. <laughs> But God's love is still genuinely enough during those times. It's enough to bring wisdom. He loves us enough to discipline us. He loves us enough to bring joy when we don't have any, to hold us when we lose. And he's the same God that will cheer us on when we win because he loves us. Enough to fill our hearts with laughter. Enough to fill our minds up with the truth so that we can think wholesome, good, righteous Thoughts in our mind that are lovely and true and excellent and noble and pure. That's the way God wants us to think. And so he'll put those thoughts in our minds. He loves us enough to give that to us, even though we don't deserve it. He loves us enough to bring favor and blessings beyond what we can imagine. He loves us enough to love us like a daddy loves their daughter, even when their daughter's not loving him back. He loves us. His love is enough for us and so much more. You know, in a room this size full of women, I'm sure that we have all kinds of father-daughter stories. Some of you, maybe you were a daddy's girl, and that's such a beautiful thing, and you're very blessed if you were. Some maybe don't even know who your father is. Some maybe father was very distant. He was around, but distant emotionally. Maybe some abusive. 
You know, in our culture, we kind of hold up that whole daddy's girl relationship. It's kind of been glamorized in the movies and all that kind of stuff. And, and I think that's because it is such a beautiful thing. And that's the closest we can get in our minds, really, that daddy's girl, climb up on the lap, let him love you, let him pour into you and just love you just like you are and think you're the most beautiful thing ever. And yes, that's the daddy's girl thing. And that's the closest idea we can get to in our minds of the way that God loves us. And ladies, it doesn't even scratch the surface of the way that God loves us. I keep thinking back to Carrie, laying her head on her daddy's shoulder, just resting. And here's the thing. I truly believe that a genuine life is going to flow out of coming to the understanding that we rest. We rest our head on our daddy's shoulder. His love is never going to change. It's enough for us. He genuinely loves us.